In this session, we're going to try and look at constructing your supply lines. Um, in the Gulf War, a few years back, it was reckoned that it took 20 uh, support personnel to keep one soldier fighting in the field. 20 support personnel for every one soldier fighting in the field. And uh, although I won't you know, go and say anything about the number 20, I do believe it also needs a, an army of support people for those who are serving in church planting contexts very vital that uh, people who understand the realities of spiritual warfare uh, can play a vital role in the support that's needed. One of the things I love about the book of Philippians is how Paul, uh, you know, is very overflowing uh, about the church of Philippi. And the reason for that was that they were constantly uh, in partnership with him in the gospel. And that partnership, of course, consisted of a very personal, genuine love the fact that they prayed for him regularly, and uh, also that they sent him financial support a number of times. In fact, you'll see from the book of Acts that uh, it was because they had sent money to him he was able to give up his tent making and to give himself more to proclaim the gospel and extend in the kingdom. So he loved the church of Philippi because he saw them as being essential in their contribution to the advance of the gospel. And uh, we need people around us who understand spiritual warfare, understand the situation that we're in, and are there ready to support us uh, in the time of our preparation and uh, right the way through uh, to when we actually go and then on the field. The support role provides, I believe, an opportunity to catch up many people in our local church in the task of world evangelization. It's an opportunity for them to use their spiritual gifts and natural abilities uh, to serve others. Now, I believe it's essential that when we're going out to serve God in church planting, whether it's at home or whether it's uh, into another nation, that the whole church gets involved. Uh, the raising up of new workers and ongoing support of existing workers is not just the domain of church leaders or a few mission enthusiasts or just family and friends. I do believe that in our churches we should cultivate an atmosphere where the whole church is caught up in supporting those that are, are going overseas. Therefore, I believe it needs to be approached with a, a due sense of care, commitment and responsibility that uh, when we're sending folk out into pioneer situations, then uh, should that time and commitment should be given generously and time and resources should be made available to those folk uh, that are going out. And of course, with any other, uh, just as with any other area of church life, I think it also requires good leadership the backing and involvement of what I could call, if I may, senior leadership. I think that's really vital that uh, those who are leading the church actually are caught up and are right behind those that are going out in pioneer mission. And I think there are three ways uh, that they can do that. The first is by promoting an atmosphere of mission. I do sincerely believe that support will die or become ineffective if people do not live in a constant atmosphere of world mission. In Isaiah 49.6, you remember Isaiah says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a great calling that God has given to his church to be involved in taking the good news of blood right to the ends of the earth. And therefore I think it's ever so important that we keep the big picture before people. And uh, our leaders can do that in many ways through Sunday 
congregational teaching where there's a, a regular, what I might call the sweep of salvation, but before the congregation, that we might uh, constantly be reminded. Remember Peter says when he writes his epistle, I'm going to tell you things that you already know. But he says it's good for you <laughs> that I remind you of these things. And I think it's good for the church, the local church, to be constantly reminded what we're called to. That it's not just to reach our community, although we must do that, but we are called to be caught up in taking the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so it's important that we teach from the scripture regularly God's plan, the great sweep of salvation, what God is purpose, what God's plan is, how he's working towards it, and the hope that there is in the gospel. I think one of the things that can help that too is regular prophetic input that inspires and imparts faith for mission. And that's why I love uh, in our own church in Cambridge that we have prophetic people in from time to time who can do that. He can paint the big picture. One of the things about prophetic ministry is not just giving individual prophetic words to people, but the prophet actually paints the wide scene of what God is up to and uh, God's <laughs> eternal plan. And you need those with prophetic gifts who can come with the now word of God and remind us that big sweep of salvation history. It needs constantly before, uh, to be before people. Also, I think uh, leaders can impart global information, uh, reporting and highlighting things for prayer points. So uh, as some of our Cambridge folk will know, the other morning I got quite stirred up about the death of children in Yemen. And uh, so I led uh, prayer in the service for Yemen and for the children of Yemen. And had a little one or two political things to say about the arms race and that, but we'll forget about that. And, uh, but, you know, I was just stirred that we should pray for that. And uh, when our leaders are constantly bringing those things and praying, it reminds us that as we pray, actually things change. I'll come back to this in a minute. Prayer is very powerful. And uh, we must realize that part of the extension of the kingdom comes through our praying. And so we need leaders in our church that will bring up those global events so that we, as a people, are in that atmosphere where we understand, yeah, we're part of what's going on in the whole world. Uh, And we can't be everywhere, obviously. But we're in that in the sense of God's plan and purpose. One of the other things that leaders can do is, is host overseas visitors or ethnic preachers. So if I find out that there's uh, somebody from overseas that's in the UK, um, we will try at Cambridge to grab hold of them and see if they can come and preach for us on a Sunday. It's nothing like having somebody from another nation actually standing at the front and preaching. Uh, one of the things we also do is that within our program, we always have ethnic preachers. So by that I mean that we actually literally are intentional in searching out people of different ethnic cultures and backgrounds from other churches, and we invite them to come and preach for us. We have some of our own preachers that are from other nations, but where we don't, we invite people in. And so it's great, so our people actually see people from other backgrounds, and they see how this salvation actually is for all people. And we need to have a practical demonstration of that. And so it's great to look for preachers from overseas or others from other churches that we can draw in because it just gives that, uh, that meaning to our people that this is what we're all about. We're about reaching the world. I think the second thing that leaders can do is to keep workers, those that have gone out in church planting, at the forefront of church life. Now to do that, firstly, I think there needs to be a public sending of those that go out to church plant and to pioneer which needs to be accompanied by prayer and prophecy. And uh, we already remarked how Paul writes to Timothy about uh, how he needs to fight the good fight and remember the prophecies that were prayed over him and spoken over him when the elders laid their hands upon him. 
And of course in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas are sent out, it says they fasted and they prayed and they laid their hands upon them. There was a public recognition of what they were moving into. But just as important as a public uh, sending, if I can put it in that way, the church getting behind those that are going, there needs also to be a public receiving back, uh, celebrating that time away. And of course this is what happened to Paul, if you remember Paul and Barnabas. After their first missionary journey, they come back to the church in Antioch and they report to them all the things that had happened, how the grace of God had been expanding around. And they celebrated that together. And they prayed before Paul went off again on his next missionary journey. And so there's a real value uh, in celebrating and rejoicing what has been accomplished. I don't know about your heart, but I was uh, very excited by what happened with David and our going on the streets this morning. Wasn't it good just to get that summary? Oh, man, it's great. You know, it's Sunday lunchtime. It's Sunday lunchtime. You know, 113 people reached, you know, spoken to about Jesus. Isn't that great? Well, when people come back from abroad, it's a lovely opportunity to celebrate what's got on, to hear their stories and to hear how things have been going and, and the blessings. We need to celebrate those things. And uh, when people come back, they need to be given multiple settings to share their story. It's really important. One of the things that I, I really value is when our folks come back, we try and get them into every area of church life. So they go and spend time with the children. They spend time with the youth. They spend time in the main congregational service on Sunday. They go around to small groups. And uh, we also gather them uh, together as well so that they can meet people who have joined the church since they were last home uh, because they won't know any of those. And uh, so we do those things in order, again, to keep before the church uh, what's happening, uh, ensuring that up-to-date news is shared with the church, circulating prayer letters or prayer needs, making prayer needs known in Sunday services for those that are working overseas, particular areas, so you pray publicly for them on, on a Sunday. And one of the things that you can do more and more of these days is live link-ups. This is where the techie boys really love this bit, you know. Try to actually get it all working together. But when it works, <laughs> it's really great. There you are on Sunday morning, and there you get folks beamed in, you know, onto your screen, and you talk with them and the family. I mean, that, that really lifts your spirit, doesn't it? I remember being in the church in Woking one Sunday, and it was really funny because um, I, they did it. They had two services. And so they did the link up twice. On the first service, we had no picture, but we had their voices. Second time, we had the, had the picture, but no voices. And a uh, great morning, but people you know, picked up the whole thing. But just wonderful, do you know, to have the folks from overseas, you know, beaming in and asking questions and seeing the kids and that sort of thing. These are ways in which the leadership of the church can keep pioneering before the church on a very regular basis and uh, sharing that kind of news. And uh, one of the things that uh, we do, I guess many of you will have kind of uh, joining the church courses or membership courses, whatever you might call and so we talk about our overseas workers on those courses so that folk joining the church can know that these are, these are the folk that are out serving God in different nations and need your prayer, um, and that's really important. In our building, actually it's not up because we've been decorating, but in our building, over our door, we have a whole series of clocks and they're all set at different uh, times for where our folk are around the world. So when you go out the door, you see, you know, uh, you know, Middle East and so forth, all up here with all the different times, the zones across the country. Just little things to help people remember. We're about reaching the world, seeing the kingdom of God extended to the ends of the earth. And leaders play a really important part in that. Third thing that leaders can do is ensure the delivery of good pastoral care. Now, the level of pastoral care will vary according to circumstances. 
Uh, if you're received into a local church in another culture, going out to join a team or church that's already existing, then often that church will have the primary pastoral responsibility for you. But if you're in a pioneering situation and there's no local churches yet, then there's a greater level of pastoral support and input, both from apostolic oversight and also from home church. And so depending on the situation where you are, you may receive more or less pastoral support from your home church. I think it must also be clear on how and when uh, your home church will communicate with you. And that's something that uh, they can discuss with you. And uh, you need to have times when they can talk to you about your spiritual life, your spiritual condition, your pastoral needs. And uh, there's multiple means of doing that these days with mobile phones and Skype and WhatsApp and emails. But there's nothing like a personal visit as well. And leadership teams uh, diarising in personal visits. So our Daniel, who leads our work in Cambridge, is soon going off a couple of weeks' time to Jordan just to visit our folks there. <laughs> and we pay for him to do that because we feel it's important that they see him or somebody from the church face to face. And so we put money aside so that folk can actually go out and visit folk uh, overseas. And of course, when they come back, they share stories and all that sort of thing. But one of the things I found in the experience is that uh, free, you really need to actually diarise that in the diary. Don't leave it ad hoc. And uh, so I've done many things with our folks in terms of the leadership of us working out who's going to be in contact with people and when they're going to be in contact with people so that people know that those things uh, are there. If you just leave it to ad hoc, I'll just I'll get in touch with them when I, you know, if God moves me or the Holy Spirit tells me I'll get in No, try and diarise it in. It's so much better uh, for folks overseas. Um, need to discuss at all as leaders how often you bring them home uh, for rest, to attend conferences or to receive further training. And so with our folks that are overseas, we try and work that out. How many times they're going to come home? Uh, what's the gap between them being out? How many years before we bring them home? Putting finance aside so they can come home for things like the Courage Conference last year. All those kind of things need to be done uh, by leadership uh, in that way. Also, there needs to be discussion as leaders with uh, folks of what will happen um, if there are adverse circumstances. What happens if there's illness or death of a relative? or the overthrow of the government in the country where you are. Um, there needs to be thought given uh, to that kind of risk area and what will you do. And uh, certainly with Relational Mission, we can help you with that, to put policies in order in your local church to actually care for folk and uh, know what protocol to follow uh, if things actually happen like that. And we've already had that uh, with folks that we've got overseas where things have... Uh, kind of kicked off in their country, airports are closed down, no way out of the country, uh, looks as though that war is going to start up, all that sort of thing, and then you have to make decisions. What do you do? How do you get your people out? All those kind of areas are things that leadership uh, should be involved in. So basically what I've said in that little blurb is this, that the first step in you constructing your supply lines has to be to help your leaders to cultivate and maintain a right climate for support. One of the best things you can do for them is to buy a copy of my book and give it to them as a gift. Okay, I wrote it for church leaders, so uh, one of the best things you can do is give that to them and then you know, make sure they read it and uh, work through it. But no, I want to be serious about this. It really is uh, important. If your church doesn't live in an atmosphere of world mission, uh, you're not going to find the support coming through to you as you go overseas can almost become out of sight, out of mind. 
And that's the last thing we want because we realize this is a spiritual warfare in terms of taking ground from the enemy and uh, pressing forward with the, the kingdom of God. So leadership is very important and the life of the local church. Okay, let's come a little bit more practical to you guys. And I wanted to talk about six kinds of support uh, that you will need. And uh, although, again, this is very applicable to cross-cultural workers, um, it's also very uh, applicable for you if you just move into the other end of the country or even just 10, 20 miles down the road. These are still some of the same things uh, that you need. First thing I think you need is moral support. The scriptures are very strong on the need to encourage and to build one another up. There's so many verses in the New Testament uh, that talk about that. We need to be constantly encouraging one another. And yet I find very often when folks say, well, I'm going to be part of a church plant or you know, I'm going to go and work overseas, you often don't get encouragement, you get discouragement. And you often hear comments like this, but you'll need it here. Who's going to pay? Don't you think it's a waste of your education? But you'll be taking your children away from their grandparents. When you lose the chance of marrying, what about your future career prospects? Now, all of those I didn't make up. They're all things that have been said to people who wanted to go church planting. And uh, you don't need that. I don't need to tell you that, do I? Here you are, all fired up, ready to go. God's spoken to you. You've got that inner conviction. Circumstances are falling into place. And then all you get is cold water on what you're doing. You know, please don't go is the message. Now, we don't need that. What we do need is people that will encourage us. So you need to surround yourselves with people who will provide constant positive encouragement and feedback through the whole process of your preparation, the actual sending, and then you're settling into that new uh, place of service. That, again, can just be as simple as verbal affirmation. These are much better sentences. Hey, I'm right behind you. I'm excited by your vision. Tell me more about what God has laid on your heart. We're going to miss you, but we want to help you all we can. Now, that's much more positive, isn't it? And we need to surround ourselves with people who will be supportive of us in that particular way. People will not only give us verbal affirmation, but will also be a listening ear. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So we need to have good friends that will give us positive feedback as we begin to make vital decisions about our future. Folks who will talk through with us and have a listening ear for our anxieties or fears about the move. You know, we're all very human. And uh, it doesn't matter how exciting the vision is, you know, when you're going to get up and leave people that you love and move on or move into a new situation, there's a lot of emotional turmoil that goes on. And uh, we need to be able to have people that we can talk to about our anxieties or our fears uh, about what's, what's happening. Sometimes you find that uh, children, uh, again, can get worried about leaving their friends behind. I can't remember, it's Adam and Becky we were just talking about, you know, they, uh, the kids are with grandparents at the moment, but they had the wrong teddy. You know, when you're a child, teddy is very important, the right teddy that you've got with you, you know, to be at granddad's house. And if it's left behind, you know, you know it's a crisis. And uh, it's the same here. We have to understand, you know, there, there are times, you know, when we, uh, even our own children and we're going abroad, can start to feel insecure and they're leaving their friends behind. One of the things that uh, I've got, and I'm very happy to send it to you, is uh, just a little, um, for children, it's just a little 
kind of uh, pack of stuff that they can work through about going abroad. So it says, what are you going to miss? And uh, what do you want to take with you? And what do you think the most exciting thing is going to be when you move to your new country? And what's the best thing you know about it? You know, it's just a whole pack of things to work through. So you, you can work through with your child just to take them through it. So to get rid of some of those anxieties and fears so that they are anticipating in a good way uh, in terms of where they're going. So it's ever so important to have a listening ear. People who share prophetic words with you, you will, uh, as they pray for you, listen to God of what he might be saying in order to encourage you. People who've got a, a word in season share a, a verse or a biblical thought with you that builds you up in the time. Because you remember we said that sometimes when we start on the road, we hit mountains or we hit obstacles and we've got to overcome those. And in those times when there's delay, we need people who will be able to encourage us and be with us, be a listening ear. And also I put into this category too a kind of genuine friendship. Folks who through the whole process will help you keep your eyes on Jesus during those periods of delay or disappointment and uh, who perhaps will help uh, to remind you to take one step at a time towards your goal. Okay, Because sometimes it's hard. We hit a roadblock. But just take one step at a time and God will open uh, the way. So folks that will look out for resources or contacts or things that are relevant to your future area of, of ministry. And uh, one that I think is really equally as important, folks that will keep your feet on the ground and remind you of the importance of the body of Christ. Okay, like we said this morning, just because you're going into pioneering or you're going cross-culturally doesn't mean you're a super saint. Okay, you know, it doesn't mean you've got you know, this special status now. You know, I was a Christian in the, in the local church, but now I'm a pioneer. Now, you know, that's not where it's at. And you need good friends who actually, if you start to get a little you know, out of your um, you know, status, you know, they can just bring you down again and say, hey, guys, you know, we're, all part, you know, we're all in this together. And we all have a vital part to play. So the guys who stay at home and are your support team are just as important as you that are going. Got to get that in your heart and understand that and uh, respect those and honour those. And especially, I think, genuine friendship where you've got folks who will agree together with you in prayer about specific practical needs. You know, there's great power in agreeing together in prayer. And uh, you need to have genuine friends who will stick with you and believe with you for answers to prayer and to breakthroughs in those obstacles and bar- barriers and, uh, and see God's answer to them. And folks then who will rejoice with you when God does answer um, your prayers. Number two, logistic support. Uh, you need uh, people around you who can help you in the more practical side of facilitating your move and your future ministry before and after you leave for your new place of work. So let me give you some examples of how people could help you. Uh, things, these are very practical kind of areas. You can see a longer list if you read my book. Personal belongings. Okay, The sale or storage of household items or belongings. Uh, we've got a couple who, um, I'm going to miss it tomorrow, it's their last Sunday with us and they're going to Malaga. Okay, and so they're selling up. <laughs> and so, over the last uh, last few weeks, they've been, you know, sort of having open houses. And uh, in our newsletter, you know, sofa, chair, you know, this, that, and the other, you know, getting rid of. And uh, you know, what's going to need to happen in the end is everything that they haven't been able to sold. It's got to be got rid of. Someone's got to take it to the tip or get it down to the charity shop or so forth. You know, there are practical things that people can help you with uh, when you're going personal belongings, even if things are put into storage. Actually, sending things out to people. 
So you put them in storage for a while and then, you know, you, you email home and say, hey, you know that so-and-so I left with you that's in your loft? I could really do with that. <laughs> could you send that out? And you need people around, you know, who can be very practical in that way with you. Um, the sense of uh, selling or leasing or renting your current property and uh, dealing maybe with the paperwork and just the practicalities of uh, whoever you lease it out with and, and being your uh, sort of representative you know, to the agency or whatever, they can help you in that way. Things like the care of family pets. Now, this doesn't affect everybody, I know. You know, some people like dogs, some people like cats, but you know, when you've got pets, you know, what's going to happen to them? Children are very worried about that because often you can't take the pets with you. So who's going to look? So finding somebody who look after the dog or the cats, you know, so that when you come home, you know, for, for a visit, they can go round and they can see little Snippy or whatever her name is, you know, and uh, they can, you know, give them a cuddle. You know, these, these seem little incidentals, but actually to children and others, they're, they're very important things. And can you find somebody in the church who will do that for you? And uh, will even take pictures. And of course, these days you can take little videos you know, you left so-and-so behind. Look, here's a little video. Look, look what they've been up to lately. They completely demolished the lounge, you know. I mean, these are the things, you know, that, that can be meaningful to people. So you need folks around you who can do those things. Logistical support. What about personal commitments? Things like the completion of official forms, like tax returns, elections returns, those kind of things. What about personal commitments, the care of elderly relatives? Now, that's a big one. That's a really big one. When you go out, I'm just trying to gauge the ages that you're here, many of you will go out and you'll have elderly parents. Who's going to look after them while you're away? How are you going to provide for their needs while you're away? It's one of the things I love about being in a family of churches. Because one of the things we've been able to do through the years is find people in a church near mum and dad. <laughs> you can actually go and visit them on a regular basis to make sure mum and dad's are right. Sometimes mum and dad are believers and so they're right behind what you're doing. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes actually they're very upset that you're going. And sometimes the family's very upset that you're going and you're leaving them behind. How wonderful to actually have people from our local church who can just go round every now and again and see how they're doing and make sure that they're being cared for. So there are areas again that you can perhaps find someone in the church, you know, or another church that would be actually willing to do that for you. Uh, to take care of them. What about personal finances? Making regular payments for you in, in your country of origin. Uh, what about the receipt and transfer of funds to your new nation? Handing tax advice or tax returns, paying insurance bills, acting as your power of attorney. Uh, these are all practical areas that you can include others in the church in to be your, your support. And then, of course, there's a, a third area of personal ministry needs. Uh, folks who will send out to you uh, tools or equipment that you need for the ministry that you're involved in. And uh, sometimes special, uh, sending specialist items. Uh, you know, you probably don't think of a solar cooker. <laughs> but, you know, and uh, things like computers evening, uh, you know, in certain countries because of the lack of electricity and all this kind of thing. Um, they're often very specialist things, actually, that need to be sent out to people who are working in very pioneer situations. You can find folk who are able to do that. Uh, sending resources to facilitate social action. So medical supplies, food and clothing, who'd be willing to you know, get those things together and send them out to you to enhance your ministry and what you're doing in that new pioneer situation. So basically that's a whole practical area. But that's why I said right at the beginning that you can actually catch so many people up in the church because people say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. But actually they could do some of these practical tasks 
to actually be there and support you. And so the whole church, again, is feeling caught up in, in world mission. And then there's finance support. Now here, I'd love to recommend uh, a good book to you. It's quite a standard work these days. Funding the Family Business, a handbook for raising personal support by Miles Wilson. It's quite a thick book, but it's well worth reading. It's got lots of pictures, so even though it's thick, you know, you'll get through it. But uh, it's really a, a great um, look at scripture, and it's a great look at the practicalities. It tells you a lot about how you need to raise money, how you need to build a relationship with people. Uh, so it's not just a hand in the pocket, here you go, off you go. But there's real tie between you and relationship. I would recommend you read through that, and it talks a lot about finance. But you'll need to work through with the church uh, a multiplicity of financial issues. Like we said uh, in the earlier session, are you going short-term or long-term? Are you going to be fully or partially supported? What about resources for ministry? What about a pension? What about children's education? What about paying for trips home? So we sent a couple off, and when we sent them off, they had no children. They now have four. And now those four children are actually, you know, all over the age where they don't have to play for them, but they can't, you know, get their freebies on the airlines. So now, you know, when they're coming home, whereas we used to supply them with this, you know, it's no use anymore because we've got four more seats now. And so we always review how much we give to our overseas workers every year. And we try and look for inflation. We try and look for growing needs if they've got more children. These are areas that need to be talked through uh, with those in your church that are supporting you and with the final support that uh, comes from the church. Crisis or contingency? Have you put money aside, with it, or the church has? If they need to bring you home in an emergency, uh, regular review points, regular one-off gifts, gift aid, uh, bringing folks home for training and conferences, uh, pastoral team visits, all those kind of things uh, need to be talked through with your church. Uh, we believe, certainly in our own setting, it's important to bring folk home for conferences. We love to bring home, folk home. Uh, for like the Courage Conference or a, a national conference that we're having, sometimes bringing them home for other conferences. So again, one of our couples came home for the Courage Conference and uh, I happened to notice that there was another conference going on about the Islamic world and uh, particularly about the care of, of women and daughters. And so I immediately emailed back to her and said, I know you're coming to the Courage Conference. Can I book you in for this other conference? Because <laughs> I think it would really help you. And uh, she wonderfully said yes. And so she actually came home early, a week early, uh, before the whole family came home to go to that conference. And we've got money aside to do that kind of thing. And so you need to talk with your church so that they are supporting you financially. These areas are good to talk about with, uh, with them. And then, of course, personal finances, income from employment or property, pension, trust funds. And uh, the most important thing, of course, again, faith goals. I do believe that that faith element needs to be there as well in this whole financial area, that uh, we need to believe God for things as well. I know there are lots of missionary groups who say, you know, you can't go overseas until you've got 80% of what you're going to need when you're out there. Well, yeah, that's a good thing in some ways. But, you know, it's also good to have faith goals, isn't it, to be looking to God to supply uh, the needs that you have. Next one, prayer support. Vital role of uh, the local church again in mobilizing and supporting world mission and getting people to other nations, but also prayer sustains people in their work and brings about fresh advances for God's kingdom. So uh, you need actually to ensure that there's a good support in prayer as you go out into uh, Pioneer Church planting. 
Can I, I was saying this to the group that I had in cross-culture downstairs, just one caveat, that prayer can be dangerous. In the 18th century, the first Moravian congregation in London had 72 members. And uh, the Moravians came from a history in, uh, with Count Zissendorf where they had a prayer meeting for 100 years non-stop. They prayed literally for 100 years, every hour of the day. Amazing, amazing group of people. If you've never read their history, you ought to read their history. But when they planted a church in the 18th century in London, they had 72 members. But by then they were completely sold out to praying for world mission. 65 of them went as full-time missionaries. 72 in the congregation, 65 of them went as full-time missionaries to serve God in other parts of the world. They had a very novel idea, which I've tried to introduce in this country, but it has never happened yet. And that is when they decided who was the next one to go out in world mission, they would draw lots. And the one that came out with the shortest straw, he was the one that was the next one, or he and the family, to go on world mission. And uh, they would give the congregation would give you the money to get to your port and your passage to your country where you were going to to preach the gospel and plant churches. And then you were on your own. Now, don't you think we ought to introduce that in relational mission? I think it would be a great idea to, uh, to do that. Okay, corporate prayer. The local church praying regularly for you uh, in corporate gatherings. Um, mechanisms that make the whole church aware of your specific prayer requests. As I said, things like uh, WhatsApp and uh, face-to-face, Facebook, all those kind of things are great creative ways these days of communicating what your prayer needs are. But I think it needs, again, both to be spontaneous and intentional. And therefore, you know, it's good for churches to kind of draw up a, a regular schedule of when corporately the church will pray for people. And don't forget to share answers to prayer. And this is you this time. One of the great things I find of one of our couples is that um, when they send their prayer requests to us every month, they always type in red and green. <laughs> so they always give us, in, in the green side, is all the prayers that they'd asked for last time that have been answered. And it's great, you know, so just as you look down, oh yeah, we prayed for that last month, that's been answered. Oh yeah, got a job now. Oh yeah, yeah, the kids are settled down in school. Yeah, down there. And then in red, they have the next lot of prayers to be answered. And when you get that every month, green and red, green and red, green and red, boy, does it encourage your heart because you think, hey, we're praying for this and they're all getting answered. And you, you see how you're caught up in that. And it's really important for our church, people that are praying for them to see that, that their prayers are making a difference. So you need to have some kind of mechanism that allows you to celebrate those answers to prayers because it builds faith and uh, it keeps the saints uh, persevering. I think sometimes in our churches it's also good uh, to have small groups uh, that have a particular interest for you as a couple or as a single that's going pioneering and uh, to actually kind of share with you uh, that particular burden or interest, particularly handing prayers or requests that are of a more sensitive nature. And uh, perhaps you want one to publicise in a large uh, public gathering. Uh, yet it's important for people to be praying for you. And so I, I wouldn't want to pull away from the responsibility of the, the corporate whole church to be praying for you. But I think it's good to have little groups who can pray in emergency or crisis or can handle some of those more sensitive needs. Folks that are really committed to you. And I'll say more about that in, in the last uh, session. Um, if people don't know what to pray for, um, I've got a little guide here, which is uh, something you can often pass on to people when they say, well, what can we pray for? And so just quickly, the seven days of the week, uh, your relationship with God, your physical and emotional needs, 
family relationships, your ability to communicate, that your ministry will be effective, team relationships, and actually for the country of service, praying for the people of the, uh, wherever you've gone to. And there are lots of other prayer guides you could get that will help people to pray. And then uh, communication support. I love the fact that Paul uh, didn't simply have a working relationship uh, with the churches that he pioneered and founded. He had a personal warmth and, and affection. And his friendship was committed by good communication. I don't know whether you've noticed in the New Testament how he was often disturbed when he had no news of the churches or the workers' welfare. When he hadn't had any news from people for a while, he got really upset. In fact, you remember right at the end of the second uh, letter to the Corinthians, uh, he talks about the things that are a burden to him. And one of the things he says is the daily burden of the churches. Paul was a man who really cared. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that uh, there needs to be uh, a warmth, a life link, because that's what makes two way communication really work. Now, on one level, that should happen naturally. But another level, it often needs to be diarised in. And it's ever so important when you're communicating with folk, if I use this phrase, back here, or back in your local setting, uh, that you share not simply spiritual matters, but everyday affairs of daily living. So I love to get a um, blog from some of our people who tell us all about the day their children have had. Why? Because I've got grandchildren, I love to hear stories, and actually, if the letter is just full of all the spiritual things, that doesn't help my friendship with them. I like to know what they've been, where they've been, you know, they, what did they, I can say, what did they eat last night, not quite that, that much, but you know, I know some of our folks now and again, you would, you know, because of that, the, the pressures of living in an Islamic country, they will find a, an international restaurant to go to or a hotel with a swimming pool just for one day, just to, just to be themselves again, you know. <laughs> and so I'd love to hear, you know, that they've been and done that. Um, and it's a, a communication thing, it has to be two-way, and it has to be genuine friendship. And so the goal, actually, in our communication should be to maintain genuine friendships uh, that will, um, you know, really help us in that communication business. So you might want to seek news of the current church life. Um, I'm thrilled that some of our guys, you know, they read our, our weekly newsletter. Because sometimes when I'm eating, mailing with them, and they'll, they'll tell me, you know, I was reading so-and-so the other day, and I see you've been doing this and this. I think that's great. Because it's easy when you're overseas or in a pioneer situation saying, people ought to be supporting me. People ought to know what I'm do, doing and be praying for me. But it works the other way around. You ought to be knowing what's going on in your local church and what's happening at home. And so you need to ask questions about how things are going. Hey, I, I see you know, the church had a prophetic word the other day from so-and-so who visited. It's really good for them to be praying for that. You know, what have you done about that prophetic word? And, and you can have two-way conversations about that. Well, we thought those were serious. We're doing this and we're doing that in a few weeks. And actually, sometimes they know ahead of... This is terrible. They know ahead of our congregation what we're going to be doing about it. Because, you know, they're miles away, so I don't mind telling them, you know, what's in our mind and stuff. But, you know, it's two-way communication. It's genuine friendship uh, that you build with them. You might want to get news of uh, not only current church life, uh, but what's going on in current affairs back in your, your home country. Uh, you might have a favourite magazine or, you know, a favourite show on TV or something. You know, share about life as well as about the spiritual things. Yeah, we need to say the spiritual things, but lots of everyday things can really keep people's interest in what you're doing uh, overseas. And let them know that you generally miss them. 
and let them know what you generally miss. Uh, when I travel abroad, I often travel with marmalade and marmite. Can't believe that, can you? But, uh, you know, there are some folk working overseas, and there are things that they crave for they can't get in their income. So sometimes I end up, you know, with bars of chocolate in my case and things, you know, because they, they just love, you know, a Cadbury's big glass slice, you know. And, you know, don't be afraid to tell people what you really like and get them to send a book or a CD or, or something, you know. It's, it's building that two-way communication of friendship. Very, very important, that communication support. And the very last one, the other area of support that you'll need is re-entry support. Paul, as I said, was sent out from a local church base, but he returned to that same base and he gave a report how God had blessed his ministry among the Gentiles. And he took time out for rest and refreshment. And then together with the church, they sought God for the next season of ministry. And I want to say that if you've not done it before, not had experience of this, that returning home after you're serving in another setting, another place, another country, can be both a joy and a painful experience. And I'd recommend to you two, two books. Uh, the first is The Reentry Team by Neil Parolo, and that's a really good book for churches to have and to think about how to care for people when they're coming back from service overseas. And then another book by a good friend of mine, Marion Nell, called Burn Up or Splash Down, which is about families returning from overseas and coming back into their home country or into their home setting. And both those books are, are really excellent. And uh, you need to find people who can help you facilitate uh, your return uh, to your home country or to your home area. Now, pre-return, uh, you're going to have to obviously communicate the dates of your travel. Consider you know, your travel arrangements. Are you going to make your own way home? Or would it be good for somebody in the church to come and pick you up? So some of our guys will often go up to Heathrow and so forth to just pick folk up and bring them home. They don't want them to have all that hassle. And so they just go up and pick them up at Heathrow or Stansted or wherever and bring them home. You need to communicate what you're doing. Obviously, when you come home, you have to arrange living accommodation, whether you're going to stay with family, you're going to stay with others in the church, whether you're going to rent a place for a while. All those things are very important. And if you're returning to your own home, uh, I would suggest that uh, for churches it's really good to ensure that uh, not only is the home free, particularly if you've been renting it out, <laughs> and you still don't have folk living in it, but uh, that the house is ready for those folks to come home. And so, you know, cleaning the house, uh, making sure there's groceries in the fridge and all that kind of thing. It's great, flowers, you know, and all that sort of thing. Great things that your church can do. And uh, so people need to be aware of that when you're coming home and how that's going to go. Other things to consider are obviously transport while you're home. Uh, you know, are you going to rent a car? Is somebody going to lend you a car? Uh, there are schemes in this country, um, mission organisations, who will actually rent you a car for the time that you're home here in the UK. And uh, so there are lots of different options. Uh, sometimes people in the church will say, you know, we got a second car, you know, while you're home for the next three weeks, you know, have our car. Uh, so all those kind of things you need to think about. Important when you come back to schedule time to meet with your church leadership, your elders, and uh, for them also to schedule a debriefing session with you. And by debriefing session, I mean that you can share with them the good, the bad, and the ugly. I do believe it's really important for your mental health and your emotional health to be able to share what has happened to you. 
And sometimes when folk are overseas, we can put on our stiff upper lip, you know, and it hasn't really affected me. But you need time to actually talk that out, the things that have happened. Uh, we've had some of our folk in Afghanistan, and, uh, and uh, one of the guys was actually in charge of the security of the team that was there. He lived on constant 24-hour-a-day watch. When they left the house and were going somewhere, they had to uh, get on the walkie-talkie and say, we're leaving the house now, we're going to arrive two streets away in 10 minutes' time. If we're not here, you know, investigate and so forth. Can you imagine living with that every day and having to take care of your team in the country where you knew the Taliban and other folk were around and all that kind of thing? Now, now that can cause real pressure and real strain. Strain on the marriage, uh, strain with other team members. Who are you going to talk to about that? Sometimes you're so busy that actually you don't you know, let that out. So you need a time when you come home where all that can be debriefed and you can talk through that. Talk about your feelings. Talk about what has been good. Celebrate those things together. But talk about the things that have been hard. We all need to do that. And can I say your children need to do that as well? Um, I think as uh, church groups, we've been very slow on debriefing our children. We often debrief adults, but we don't often debrief our children. And our children need the same kind of care and opportunity to talk out what's been good, what's been bad. Because sometimes they bottle up things because they don't want to upset mummy and daddy. And so they need good relationships. That's another thing you may like to think about in terms of having uh, people within the church that are on good relationship with the children. Now, it might be aunts, quotes and uncles you know, that they're just aware of and they've got good relationship with. So that when they come home, they can have a session. It's very bad to be you know, just going in with a stranger. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, sit down there. You, know, you don't know who I am, but I'd just like to talk to you about you know, what's going on you know, while you've been overseas. No, but if you've got an uncle or an aunt, hey, let's go out for an ice cream and uh, sit down with them and talk with them. Hey, what was it like? What was the best thing you enjoyed while you've been away? You know, then it starts to come out. And sometimes they just pour it out to Uncle and Auntie when they haven't poured it out to Mum and Dad. And so debriefing not only adults but also children is important. So that needs to be scheduled in, and you need to make sure you've got that time scheduled in uh, with your leadership team. And, and discuss also when and how you can share with the church when you come home. I think you need more opportunities to share what has happened with you, to help you process both the good and the bad aspects of your time abroad. The more opportunities you have, you'll find the more will come out of you. It may surprise you sometimes, things that start coming out that you'd squash right down. So try and make sure that you've got that, uh, that in. On arrival, <coughs> when you actually get back to just, you need somebody who will defend you. What do I mean by that? When you come back, if, if people love you, they'll want to give you meals. And they'll want to give you meals on the same day. And when you start, if you're a bit naive and you start, you start actually sort of booking in, well, we'll see so-and-so in the morning, we'll go to so-and-so in the afternoon, and you think you're just going for coffee and a biscuit. But when you turn up, you find there's a whole meal. So you have your first meal, you move on to the second house, and they've also done you a meal. You move on to the third house, and they've also done you a meal. And although it's lovely to have that sense of hospitality, you need sometimes to have somebody just to you know, make sure your schedule is right in the space in between uh, of those things. Great. So, but don't get overwhelmed by people's hospitality. You'll need people maybe that will make new introductions for you. So I said a moment ago, new people who have joined the church 
uh, during your absence. So one of the things we do with our folk is that we give them a list of all the people that have joined the church. And then uh, many of them then have a, a breakfast or they have a meal in the evening where they invite all the new people uh, to come and they share their story with them and get to know them. And it's a great time to be able to do that. You might want to think about that. That's an opportunity for you to just get other folk knowing what you're about. You know, folk to help you facilitate health checks like doctors and dentists and uh, opticians, all those things. And uh, I'm afraid you have to handle the big NHS thing now uh, because legislation has changed so that uh, when you come home, you have to be able to prove that you are resident here in the UK. If you don't, you have to pay private fees for your secondary health care, not emergency care. Okay, If you break your leg or something like that, they will still treat you for free. But any kind of secondary thing nowadays, you have to pay. And uh, that's been introduced because the government are trying to pull back money from folks from overseas who use our National Health Service. Um, That's a big subject, and we do have lots of stuff on that if you want to read it. Uh, But it's just one thing that you need to be aware. You need to be able to prove that you are generally resident here in the UK. That will affect how many times you go out and how many times come back. And the law is still being tested at the moment, uh, so we're not totally sure yet. And it differs from each health area and each health uh, authority. And there is no, at this stage, there is no appeal against the local health authorities um, say-so at this time. But that's just an area, another area that you need to be aware of. But somebody can help you through with that. You also need to find a cultural uh, guru. What for? Well, to talk to you about the changes in society. And this is particularly important for teenagers. Okay, teenage uh, kind of culture changes very quickly. And if you've been away for any length of time, your teenagers will turn up here in the wrong gear. And they will be listening to the wrong music and, uh, and they will have a lot that they don't know. You need to have people that can get alongside them. You might even want to take them shopping <laughs> for new gear. Um, but you need somebody who can help them to adjust to all those things and help you adjust to those things. Because one of the things that sometimes, we sometimes talk about reverse culture shock. And uh, when you come back from being away after a few years, you can be amazed at the way society has changed. And uh, that can be a shock to you. Just as it's going the other way, when you first get into a culture, something shock you. It can be equally the same when you come back into your own culture. And so you need people uh, that will help you uh, with that. Maybe you need to find folks too uh, and talk through the whole arrangement of you know, holidays and weekends away, wet breaks and outings. Those kind of things are really important when you come back. One of the, the sad things very often that used to happen, doesn't happen so much now in mission circles, is that when people came back, they spent all their rest time going from one church to another church to another church, reporting back from where they'd been. And by the time they, they finished the end of their break, they weren't break, they were absolutely <laughs> staggered and tired and, and you know, full out of it. When you come back, you need a break. You need rest. And so it's important, again, to think that through about having time where you can rest. So some of my folk come back, and uh, some of them are supported by not just us, but other churches as well. And they will schedule in time to be with those churches, and then they schedule in time just for family and holiday. And if they don't, I want to know why. Uh, you know, so it's ever so important to have that, that rest time. And then lastly, uh, pastoral care. Um, again, there's often a mixture of emotional feelings and reactions when you come back. 
You can go from joy and elation to depression, disappointment, anger, frustration, even feelings of failure and guilt. whole plethora of different feelings that you can have. Often you can feel out of touch and isolated, even from your most long-standing friends, because those close friends have moved on. They may have made new friends. They may be doing new activities that you know nothing about. You might even be jealous of the friendships that they've built with other people that you used to have. And you see that and you sense the change. So you can be filled with lots of emotions and you can feel that you're out of touch with them. One of the things you can often feel, and this depends where you are, but it's a very common feeling, is that you can feel the gang back here are so half-hearted in their Christianity. You would never be like that. You'd never, never be like that, would you? You would never think that of your dear friends around you. But actually it happens. You think, why is the church playing at? If you've been in a pioneering situation where you've been in spiritual warfare, building the church, where you've been seeking to witness every day for Christ, and here's this nice laid-back congregation that you come back to. Well, they love the Lord. They love times of worship. But no one's witnessing. and No one's been saved in the last six months. And you can start to feel, you know, what, what's this all about? What are they up to? You know, they ought to be out there witnessing. They ought to be out there talking to their neighbor. You know, why, why, what is the church doing with evangelism at the moment? And actually, sometimes when you come back, you can also see big holes in the church. You only have to be home for a little while. And you think, oh, what's happening here? And what's happening there? The reason is because you come from the outside. Because when you're in your own culture, you never really understand your culture until you get outside of it. And then you look back in. And sometimes when you come from the outside where you've been serving God in another nation and you come back to your home base, you start to see big gaps. Well, don't complain about that. Talk to your leadership about that. Ask questions about it. Say, you know, it, says about, it seems that this is not happening anymore. You know, what's happening here? Uh, because that can help the leaders, actually, because you might be able to share with them something which they have a blind spot with and they've not been able to see. But your attitude in your heart's got to be right, but you can be really helpful uh, to the church in that. You can detect deficiencies that others have overlooked. And then can I say that one of the things that you need is a listening ear to work through your feelings and express what's on your heart. Because the goal is that real hurts can be healed, genuine understanding can be gained, and that all parties are enriched. And so I try with all of those that come back uh, to our church to spend time with them debriefing, allow them to talk many times so they get it all off their chest so that we can look at things realistically and so we can bring closure uh, on numbers of, of issues. Sometimes you feel, well, this church sent me out, but nobody really cares what I'm doing. When was the last time somebody emailed me? When was the last time the leaders got in touch? All kinds of feelings can build up, and you need to deal with uh, those things. So re-entry support is just as important as sending you out in the first place, and you need to gear your church up for that and help them to realize the kind of things. And again, in that little book I've mentioned, there is a whole section on re-entry, uh, so things that your leaders can begin to understand about how they can help you. But you need to know where you need to be helped and you need to be aware of these areas uh, in that way. So they're the six areas and uh, lots more to say on all those but um, I'll let you think about those. And, but they're a good kind of six areas to think about you know, when you're going overseas and the kind of support and the construction of those support lines uh, to help you in that time.